This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. We want to welcome you back to the Academy Podcast, brought to you by the Online Academy of Biblical Studies and Bible Way uh, Media. And uh, we want to welcome with us Brother Brendan Carr here with us this morning. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, Brother Russ. Uh, as we've been doing the last several episodes, or all the episodes really, uh, we've been doing an interview and letting people get to know our instructors a little bit better. And so we'll start with just two uh, simple questions. Why did you get into preaching? And if you went to preaching school, where did you attend? Well, I went into preaching, and it's kind of a, it's hard to explain, really. Um, I've had the blessing to grow up in the church. And I, I remember I, I was less than 10. I remember I had told my mom I wanted to be a preacher, but I wanted to be a preacher for the wrong reason because I said they only work two days a week. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, growing up, my, my grandpa, my, my, my dad's dad, he's a gospel preacher. And my mom's dad, he was an elder of the church for a number of years. So I've kind of grown up uh, around uh, those that were leaders in the church and uh, uh, they just had an influence on me, and uh, I saw really a, a need uh, to preach. Now, whenever I went to preaching school, uh, I probably wouldn't have told you I was going to be a preacher, but it was just kind of that uh, flame, that, that fire that gets lit inside of you in a preaching school that really you you don't see anything else worthy of doing other than just preaching. Um so that's kind of why I got into it. Um, and I also had, you know, other other fellow brothers that helped influence me and helped uh, uh, helped show me uh, different schools to go to and stuff. So um, and, and I did go to a preaching school. I went to the Bible Institute of Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. Uh, I was there from 2017 to 2019. I graduated and uh, it was uh, probably one of the best two years of my life. Uh, I, I miss it from time to time. I don't miss the workload, <laughs> but the camaraderie yeah. sometimes that you have with the brothers there, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a bond. It's hard to get anywhere else because you're really in a lot of thick stuff together. Yeah. Sometimes you wish you were back in the classroom and take a break from the stresses of local work. There's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, of course you've been, You've probably been preaching since you got out of school, but I'm just going to ask you some questions, ask everybody else. How long have you been preaching? Have you been preaching, and where are you preaching now? Uh, I've been preaching. I actually had the blessing. There was a small town congregation while I was in school that uh, hired me as a part-time preacher. So I was towards the end of my first year, so it would have been 2018, Every Sunday, I went to this congregation and I preached, and uh, and I've been preaching really ever since. Uh, and now I have the blessing to be here in West Plains, Missouri, at the Curry Street Church of Christ. Uh, I get to work with uh, Brother Hank Lawrence, who I think you've already had on the podcast. He uh, uh, is such a blessing to get to work with him, to be able to labor with him, and and the, the three elders here. It really is uh, incredible and. Uh, my wife and I, we're, we're very, very grateful for where we're at. Uh, now, I think I know the answer to this first one. When did you start with OABS, and why did you want to teach with OABS? Um, I started with OABS January of this year, actually. Um, I started on the Monday evening class. It was a 
Church of the New Testament is what I taught. Um, and uh, I wanted to teach, you know, I had never heard of OABS until I went to the Bible Institute of Missouri. And that's kind of crazy because I grew up in Lebanon, Missouri, which is a few hours away from, you know, Independence and Blue Springs where uh, OABS is very heavy. And I didn't hear about it until I talked with Chuck Northrup, uh, and, uh, uh, and I went through school and of course, Chuck was my teacher there for, uh, uh almost two years. He, he left in the middle of my second year to be the director of OABS. Um, but you know, I had always seen him doing the work through OABS and, uh, I even had some classes through OABS I had to take there in school. And, uh, I, I saw the incredible outreach it has the fact that you can have students from all over the world learning uh, the word of God and that are interested in it. Number one, uh, that's, that's encouraging to see others hunger and thirst for the word of God. I mean, I don't know if any, I'm sure there are others that feel that way, but you know, so, sometimes uh, you just kind of get the, the, the same thought as Elijah. Well, I'm, I'm the only one, but uh, yeah. then you got to continue to, to realize, well, there's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Uh, you know, you, you, there are brethren across the world that are willing to study the word of God. Yeah, it's easy, especially in the day-to-day work that you kind of feel like you're on an island sometimes all by yourself. And I've said that before. It's not unique to me to say it. But, uh, you know, you get, like you said, you think that you're the only one that he's trying to do what is right. That you get in local work and as uh, Brother Tay Clark used to say, you get into the trenches and, uh, you know, you, you get thinking that you're on this all, all by yourself. I remember one time when we were in school, Ted Clark was there when I was in school, uh, which was a blessing and tremendous trial in and of itself. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'll say that in a positive way, obviously. But uh, I remember, I can't remember how it came up. We were talking about gospel meetings and different things like that. And he's saying, you know, probably the best gospel meeting speaker you'll ever hear, you'll never see him because he's probably entrenched in local work. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, fighting, you know, the, the fight locally, those kinds of things. And I think it's true in many ways. We, we kind of, you know, I think lectureships and gospel meetings and preachers meetings and uh, even OABS can serve as a way to remind you that you're not in this alone. You know, sometimes you remember that when you do mission work, but also when you do OABS, you can get people, uh, you know, just starting as a director this last uh, this semester. And when the registration opened, just it opened the floodgates, you know, people from everywhere. <laughs> uh, I've never had that many emails in that short period of time before in my life. Uh, you know, from all over the world, and of course from the U.S., all over the world, which is a reminder, you know, like you said, that there are people out there who want to to study and want who are sincerely wanting to learn all they can, and it's it's very very encouraging. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. It's also a good reminder that the church isn't just in the United States; it's everywhere. It's a universal body across the world. So, yeah. and it, it really, it really, at least any time I reflect on it, it makes me. Uh, uh, it, I just sit in awe about the uh, manifold wisdom of God in the church and everything he has set up for the church and how it functions. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I think that covers why you wanted to, 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 to teach with OEBS. So let's go ahead and get into your, your, your uh, scripture. Like we always do. We always pick a 
scripture or a section or a section of scripture you want to discuss. And so you picked this morning Matthew twenty five one through thirteen. And so I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, get us started with that. Okay. Well, here in Matthew twenty five. Um, Jesus is speaking in two parables uh, concerning his second coming. Now, it's quite interesting. Uh, many times when uh, Christians turn to this passage, turn to this chapter, they, they read of the second coming concerning the world in general, which isn't a wrong thought. The whole world will be judged by, by God. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10, all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, so everyone's going to be judged. But there in verse 1 of chapter 25, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Uh, there, when we look at that, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened, uh, whenever we ask the question, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus has really already answered that question for us back in Matthew chapter 16. And there in Matthew 16, 18 and 19, there as Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter after he uh, gives the good confession. He says, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So here we see the church used in two synonymous terms, the kingdom of heaven and the church. Well, when you go back to Matthew 25 and you read, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Jesus is not speaking of the whole world and judgment here in Matthew 25, but rather of the church standing in judgment. And as we go throughout this parable, uh, the symbolism is uh, really, really uh, important to understand. So we continue on. So you have the ten virgins. So you have uh, ten probably isn't really a uh, an important number, but notice they're virgins. Virgins, of course, are those that are pure, those that have no spot. They have no blemish. Now, of course, we normally think uh, virgins in a sexual nature, but here, uh, of course, we understand the symbolism would be concerning uh, the, uh, the, the, the moral and the spiritual purity of the church, of Christians, because they have been washed by the blood of Christ. So we see it shall be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Of course, the bridegroom being Christ. And we have a little bit of uh, a, a qualifier or two different groups uh, that these virgins are called. Verse two, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So we see a distinction between uh, five and five. So you have five that are called wise and five that are called foolish. And the only thing that separates them, the only thing that makes one group wise and one group foolish is the act of preparation. That's what separates them. So it's not that they're, they're different um, morally. Uh, it's not like they've gone back into the world, but the difference is you have the wives that have taken oil with them in their lamps, and they have vessels that have extra oil for them. Then you have the foolish that have taken no oil with them. And we continue on in verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Now, this uh, is understood as death. So, 
you have the act of preparation happens before they are sleeping and waiting for the bridegroom to come. Of course, the act of preparation for the second coming of Christ needs to be done before Christ comes back or before we die. Uh, right here, right now, this life is a life of preparation. It really uh, is kind of irritating when uh, the, the world tells us, you know, today we just need to eat. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry, right? There's no purpose to life. And and, uh, really, it's, first of all, a thought fueled by atheism and selfishness and idolatry, uh, but it's also a uh, a deception to uh, a lot of Christians, sadly. And, And we should not be deceived by that. This life is a life of preparation. We cannot wait till we sleep. We cannot wait till death. So we need to make sure we have oil in our lamps, And at midnight, verse 6, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. So here is the cry that has been well awaited uh, by all ten of the virgins. They, They have been waiting for the bridegroom to come. And finally, here comes the bridegroom. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. What a beautiful day that will be uh, for Christians, but especially the prepared Christians. We'll get to that here in just a second. Verse 7, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. So here comes the time that they've been awaiting. Here comes the time that they uh, have been wanting to come, and you have... Uh, the the foolish virgins, they wake up, they come out of their slumber, they, they arise from death, and they realize they are unprepared. They realize they don't have enough oil for themselves. And so they go to the wise and they beg of them, give us some of your oil. But the sad reality is you can't transfer that act of preparation. You, you, you can't transfer those things. Now, but I guess before we continue on, we need to answer what uh, the oil represents. What, what is the oil? Well, the oil is the acts of obedience that we have as Christians. We should not be deceived by the world's thoughts that we do not have to work, because we do. Uh, You know, having just finished denominational doctrines here on Monday evening, there have been a number of denominations that we have studied that have said, well, you don't need any acts of obedience. You don't need to do any of those things. But the Bible says otherwise. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 in the parable of the vineyard, he tells us we are workers. Uh, There you have God hiring workers to go into his vineyard and work. But I mean, even just James chapter two tells us uh, that we must have worked with our faith. James 2.26 for us, the body Without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. But one of my favorite passages to point out to prove that we are workmen uh, is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Now, of course, there's a lot of people that when we get to verses 8 and 9, they they think we're going to get ourselves trapped. Uh, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's where they stop. Well, you don't have to do any works. You just have to have faith uh, to be saved. But... uh, Whenever they talk about faith, they insert after faith the word alone, faith alone. But the Bible tells us true biblical faith has obedience. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that very well. But my favorite passage comes in in verse 10. 
uh, one of the best ways to refute that uh, saved by faith alone is verse 10. For we are his workmanship. If we weren't meant for good works, why are we called his workmanship? So we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We need to do the works of God in this life. That's how we prepare for the next life, because God remembers the things that we have done in this life. He's going to bring everything that we've done. He's going to open up the books uh, and compare our life on this earth, our life of preparation to the books. So we continue on in Matthew 25 and verse number 10. And I guess before we move on, verse nine, that was the best advice the foolish virgins could have heard. It was just too late there in verse nine, go and buy a a rather Go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. That's the best advice I could have ever heard. But it was too late for them to really uh, be prepared for that. So verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So you have those foolish virgins that go to buy, and here comes a bridegroom, and they go in to the door. They go into the marriage. The door was shut, and there in the Greek, it's called an aorist passive tense, and that means the door was shut to stay shut. It's not opening again. There is no second chance. So then here come the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And verse 12, I, those are probably some of the scariest words one will ever hear. Lord, uh, or the Lord answers, verily I say unto you, I know you not. It's almost as if we're strangers, though we were virgins waiting for uh, the Lord to return. I, I don't, I don't know you. You weren't prepared, and now uh, you don't get to enter into the feast. Watch therefore. There's a conclusion. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The Exhortation is we must be prepared for when Christ returns. And of course, none of us know that. We, we know not the day nor the hour in which Christ will return. So we must make sure, and neither do we know the day in which we'll die. So we must make sure today that we are prepared uh, to meet the Son of God. We must make sure that we are prepared for death. Because if we are not, uh, then, man, what terrible consequences we will face uh, yeah, and you know, so, <clears throat> go ahead, brother. I was, sorry, I was going to say, I, I think about that uh, verse five. It says they all slumbered and slept. And I think about sometimes how in the church we get really comfortable with where we are. You know, you know, I've, right. said this, I've said this before at Ulaga, and we have these, you know, some congregations, and Ulaga has these, and I still say it there at Ulaga, that uh, uh, we have these pictures out in the foyer of our members. And sometimes people think that once they have become a member and their picture is on the wall that they have done all they need to do. And that is extremely incorrect and far from the truth. I think part of that comes from the idea of thinking that baptism is the finish line. In reality, it's a starting line. That's Uh, that's when, you know, the walk of faith really begins. And, and one thing about these who he says here in verse five, they all slumbered and slept. I think about how so many of our members, especially since, you know, COVID, uh, have decided to really in many ways go to sleep. They're slumbering. They think they can go home, stay home and, 
and slumber and everything's going to be just fine. And in fact, some men have even gone so far as tell them they're just fine by doing that. Uh, but they're, they're wrong for doing so. As we find here in verse uh, chapter 25, like you said, in verses 1 through 13, it's about being prepared. And the last thing you want to do is find yourself un, unprepared. Um, one of our brethren here changes the, the sign sometimes here at the church building. And the last thing that was put up there was, well, Jesus find you watching. And, you know, that, that phrase is from me, the songs that we sing. And that's a very good yeah. question. It's going to find you watching and waiting. Uh, that doesn't mean like, you know, they're uh, in Matthew where they're, uh, or excuse me, rather than Acts when after Christ's ascension, when they're gazing up to heaven, when they were reminded, hey, don't stand here and gaze. You have things you have to do. And that's yeah. what we always have to remember. Uh, you know, the Christian life is a life of obedience and faithfulness and and trying to help the kingdom of God grow. And by doing that, we we were, we are being prepared for the coming day. But I think so too many times we get relaxed. We get comfortable in our, in our position. We have our sign pew and we are good to go. And that is yeah. in, incorrect to put it mildly. Oh, it absolutely is. It's, it's far from the truth. I mean, and really to help this idea of that, the oil is the works. You, we, we can read verses 31 through 46. Of course, we don't have the time. But there, as Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, he doesn't judge them based on their attendance at worship. Though it's important, we must attend. Uh, we must not forsake. But there, Jesus says, well, to the to the sheep, well, whenever I was sick, you, you came and you visited me. Whenever I, I needed clothes, you came and you clothed me. And then to the goats, well, you didn't do those things that I needed, those benevolent works. Um mm-hmm. So the, the importance of having works of obedience and, you know, that's where the world gets it wrong. They think when we talk about works, we're speaking of works of merit. We're not speaking of works of merit where I'm going to deserve heaven more than someone else. These are rather works of love. Uh, first of all, because I love God and he's commanded me to do it, but also because I love that soul uh, that is in jeopardy. I'm going to go and do these things. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, thing about attendance, we we want to be faithful in our attendance. And, and I think sometimes, you know, we, we push attendance so much that people get in their head, well, Hey, I'm here all the time. You know, surely I'm, I'm faithful. Uh, even yeah. though they are asleep in the pew. In fact, I was flipping through some notes here, but there Patterson, he mentioned those who slumbered there in verse five. And he says they were, they, uh, then they, that then they slept, uh, he said, went on sleeping. He says, all preachers have seen this happen, <laughs> but mostly in church services. And I thought that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. But, yeah, that's I mean, right. I, I remember one illustration. I don't remember who, where I heard it from. It's not original with me, but, um, the, the, and this is just an illustration was that, you know, you're sitting in this long line for on the judgment day and you hear someone, you hear this noise from way back in the line. And as it gets closer, you realize it's someone yelling, and that there's, they're running up, they're getting closer and closer, and you hear them hear what they're yelling, and you finally understand they're they're yelling, they're not counting Wednesday nights, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know that's what some people think. You know, we we want to be in attendance, but it's more than being physically present. We have to be spiritually present. Our mind has to be right. We're there for the right reason. You know, I think about Matthew right. chapter uh, chapter five, um, really chapter five through seven, that deals a whole lot with our motives behind things because we can do a lot of good things, but if we're doing it for the wrong reason, then they're just empty actions. And so our faithfulness to God has to be just, uh, has to be loyal faithfulness with with a true heart, which goes back to John four and 24. And if it's, if that's not the case, we're still going to miss the mark. You can still come to every service, every class there is, 
and still miss the mark because sometimes we think we're just checking that box. And that is, again, not the right attitude about it. Absolutely. And I mean, this parable is one of my favorites to go and combat that thought. Well, that's the elder's job. That's the preacher's (laughs) job. Yeah, that's deacon's job, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Sadly, there's a lot of people that think that way. Well, that's what we pay the preacher for. Um, Well, there's a couple lines of thinking there that are wrong. Um, But it's not just the elder's job. It's not just that you must make sure you have oil in your lamp. And I can't prepare for you when you can't prepare for me. Um, We are, yeah, we are one another's keeper. But you are the one that makes the decision to put oil in your lamp and be prepared. You know, no one ever told Aquila and Priscilla that what they were doing was actually the preacher's job. <laughs> you know, yeah. when they're out and they heard Apollos and they and they and they and talked with him and others as well. Uh, uh, it's very clear from the Bible they were very active, but no one told them that that was the preacher's job. You don't have to do that. And right. I, and you know that's not an uncommon thing. I think really we see glimpses of that in the Bible where we were encouraged to be diligent, present yourself approved of God. Uh, which reminds us that it is up to us to be faithful. Um, and I've had members of the, in the past, I'm sure I'm not the only one who've, who've had members approach you and want you to, to help them with their child while at the same time they're doing nothing to help with their child, especially by their example. Um, I think of individuals who, uh, you know, can't understand why their child isn't, hasn't obeyed the gospel yet. And then we go weeks without seeing he, that individual or their entire family. It's pretty self-explanatory what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one thing for the preacher to try to encourage uh, individuals, but it's, it's, you know, we have a very small window compared to uh, the family and others. And so, um, yes, the church is going to, can help get others to heaven, but we have to make sure that we fulfill our own individual uh, requirements and, and obligations as well. That's right. Absolutely. Do you have any closing comments before we close this out uh, this morning? Uh, not really. I, well, I mean, this, this parable just helps prove that heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Yeah. So, it was pretty sure we're prepared. If, and yeah, the Bible tells us over and over again how we can be prepared for it and how we can have assurance of it. We follow God and do his commands and take care of those things. When we do fall short, then heaven will be waiting for us when this life uh, concludes. We do want to thank everyone for being here with us uh, today. We hope you enjoy this program. Hope you continue to listen to the Academy podcast and we hope to see you again next time. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.